really excited to be joined by Tara Tidro, who's an attorney up in Orlando, Florida. I met Tara first time at an ICSE conference with the subject being about medical marijuana in Florida. And Tara, you know, excited to have you here on Wolf Bites and really interested to kind of hear your thoughts related to the cannabis sector, particularly here in Florida. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me here. You have been prolifically involved, especially on LinkedIn with the cannabis space. And I know you're already representing some folks in that industry, getting retail dispensaries open statewide. So I'm probably going to tell you some stuff you already know, Barry. But for those who are not intimately familiar with the cannabis space here in Florida, we are still a medical-only market, and we are vertically integrated, which means the 22 licensed companies right now are responsible for cultivating processing and retailing via at-home patient delivery or through brick-and-mortar retail dispensing facilities uh, products to patients statewide. And so there has been a Supreme Court challenge to vertical integration. So whether or not vertical integration is constitutional is something that there were oral arguments on uh, last week, Wednesday, actually. So we'll see what the Supreme Court ultimately decides and what the fate of the industry will be in Florida. But as of last Friday, there were 282 physical dispensing locations around the state of Florida, over 420,000 patients that were registered and active in the state Department of Health Office of Medical Marijuana Use Registry. And so it is certainly an industry that has seen some incredible growth and the numbers that have been put up by dispensaries during COVID have been pretty staggering. Right. Uh, so, so the industry is certainly on an upward trajectory and I don't see there being uh, any, any downward decline in terms of the growth that we'll experience with medical marijuana here in Florida. You kind of answered one of the questions I was gonna ask you is where do you see it trending, I guess, nationally? Obviously you're particularly involved in Florida, but yeah, I mean, I guess you see it, that tra trajectory just continuing to climb on a positive basis. Yeah, and if, if, Barry, if you look at states and the more mature markets on the West Coast and what the lifespan of medical marijuana turned into over there, typically it trends towards recreational at some point. I mean, you can even see since the inception of the industry uh, in 2014 in Florida, we went from having a low THC, high CBD only market for a very limited class of patients to then having a right to try act passed to allow high THC for end of life terminally ill patients as an experimental drug, and then changing it to allow under amendment two for a broader class of eligible uh, patients that were able to get both high and low THC and CBD products. So obviously the ballot initiative did not uh, prevail this year for the election. So we will not have a constitutional ballot initiative questioning whether or not we should have adult use legalized here in the state of Florida. I think it'll probably have to come through a, a ballot initiative during an election year, if we're going to see that happen, it's not going to happen legislatively, in my opinion. And so and it, when it comes to what the future is going to look like in Florida, I think we're going to stay medical for a few more years. I do think recreational is on the horizon. I'm sure it will be very tightly regulated here in the state of Florida. Um, but certainly, you know, putting aside kind of the politics and, and, and the, the, the stigma of recreational aside, huge economic advantages in terms of tax collection. Um, and, I, and I am sure that there would be quite a few folks in the tourism industry uh, who, who would enjoy having that as part of their, you know, day 20 at Disney World <laughs> and come over here. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with all of that. But I think that's probably the future of, of marijuana here. In so probably 2022, 2024, based on what you're saying, it sounds like. I can't I imagine it would go past 2024 without it happening. It's funny, actually, you mentioned Orlando and the parks, obviously, you know, along those lines, or even the cruise lines. 
Hey, out of curiosity, have any of them taken a stance either, certainly Disney, I'm, I'm sure has not been outwardly pro-marijuana, but have any of them taken a stance anti-recreational or what have you, what do you see from them? Well, not so much anti-recreational, but a lot of private businesses have taken a stance. Um, I don't want to say that they are against medical, right? Because I don't think that right. that would be their argument, but it is in line with federal prohibitions. So one of the ways that you'll see places um, disallow uh, indirectly medical patients is to say we follow federal regulations and any federally illegal drug is prohibited for use on this property. And some will go so far to say even if you have a recommendation from a physician, which means no medical marijuana. Uh, even if you have a valid uh, uh, recommendation from a physician here in Florida. And we don't have reciprocity. So if you're coming from out of state, you're not allowed to be crossing state lines with medical products anyway. You wouldn't be able to get a recommendation filled here in Florida with an out-of-state recommendation. So really that's targeting those patients who are here in Florida. Gotcha. So it's not, I mean, Tara, it's impressive. I mean, your background as it relates to the cannabis sector, other regulated industries, certainly liquor licensing. I'm curious, how do you get involved in this? I mean, what, what, got your attention and how do you become, yeah, frankly, in Florida, I think probably one of the preeminent leaders in the sector in reality. I appreciate that. Yeah. How did I come to run the vice practice group for my firm? Yeah. Um, <laughs> That'd be a lot of fun. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Personality, maybe? No. Um, well, honestly, it started from doing land development work. And I was fortunate enough that one of our firm's land development clients was one of the first to get uh, one of the five licenses okay. uh, that they gave out in 2015. And so that was Knox Medical. And that was how I started getting into the industry. And at the time, I remember thinking, we have to have a practice group on this because because again, if you just look at the market development in other states that have had more mature cannabis markets, it has become a booming industry. And all of those industries need good lawyers. And just because it is a, you know, a seemingly salacious area to some people doesn't mean that those businesses don't need competent and sophisticated legal representation. So I knew that there were going to be quite a few large companies who were going to come into the state, obviously one of which we already represented um, on, on other issues that were going to need representation. So I was fortunate to be able to have Knox Medical as one of my first clients here in Florida. They have since changed over um, and, and their, their ownership changed over to Fluent uh, is now the, the brand under which they sell okay. products here. But, but, you know, the client base grew from there to representing not just licensed companies, but applicant hopefuls, lenders, physicians, um, ancillary service providers, banks, a whole host of real estate issues and so litigation. I mean, we've really run the gamut, which is nice. And so we started a multidisciplinary practice at Lounge that allows us to take all of the expertise we already had in-house and bring it to the cannabis industry. That's awesome. I mean, from a legal standpoint, frankly, it's a, I mean, it's phenomenal. I mean, there's so many issues, so many complexities, whether that's, you know, opening a dispensary, getting the licensing, I mean, it's a, I mean, phenomenal from a legal standpoint. There's a ton of work there. I know, and, and I hate to say it, but boy, there's no lack of work for the lawyers in this field. Right. And, and, and all the time, I try to find ways to make things simpler for my clients because I recognize that the last thing everybody wants to do is pay legal bills, right? I mean, every lawyer right. should Nobody likes paying legal bills. So what we need to do is do things as efficiently and effectively as possible. And so with the experience that I've had in representing this industry, it's become very easy to streamline, especially from a real estate perspective, those types of deals for clients. And, and I'm interested to hear your feedback too, because on all of the deals, for example, if you're, if you're looking to acquire or lease a piece of property, it is the same thing that everybody in the cannabis industry needs to be cognizant of. Are there any restrictions 
or you know any encumbrances on title that would prevent your use explicitly and if not explicitly is there anything in title that says no obnoxious immoral or offensive uses right. is there discretionary approval from a declarant or a landlord to come back in three months and say the rest of my tenants are upset that you're here in our shopping center so we're going to shut you down under some vague provision that we have in, in some recorded ecrs and that's the last thing that you want your client to get into and then of course financing is another issue you can't have a traditional mortgage on the property you have to make sure that the landlord is okay if you're leasing it that there's no percentage rent because that's prohibited uh, under statutory law. And okay, I was not aware of that. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, you have to make sure that the, that the property can meet all of the requirements uh, that the state's going to have. So very similar to liquor licensing, you don't get approval from the Department of Health to actually open up and bring product to that store to be able to dispense to patients until you are ready to open up and bring product to the store. Right. So you have to go through the whole process of building out and getting ready to open. Same as liquor licensing. Mm -hmm. You get the property, you go through that whole process, and then you submit your application and have um, DBPR through the Division of Alcoholic Beverages and Tobacco come in and say whether or not you can have a liquor license issued to operate okay. at the premise. So it is a stressful industry yeah. for that reason, because you're always one, you have to wait until the very end to know whether you can open. So that experience of having dealt with, I mean, just a very long list of those sites across the state has made it helpful to be able to anticipate those problems and prevent them from happening. And that's where, I mean, frankly, I would think working with an attorney who has been through this on dozens and dozens of occasions is really critical. I mean, you don't want to be working with a novice trying to open your first location and, you know, somebody that's kind of learning on the job. I mean, it's so, so complex. And absolutely. And I mean, it, because what I do normally in my other part of my day to day is land use and development, it is a perfect right. intersection, especially with finding real estate, because all of the local governments are handling medical marijuana dispensaries differently. I mean, as you know, statutory law says that either a local government can ban dispensaries outright, or if they allow them, they have to treat them like pharmacies for zoning purposes. So some places don't have anything in their code because they default to statutory law, but you right. wouldn't know that unless you've worked there or unless you talk to a planner. You know, in some places have come up with totally random restrictions that they now apply to both pharmacies and dispensaries. And then other places say, anywhere a pharmacy can go, we don't care, you can do that as well. Right, very interesting. So out of curiosity, so we've got obviously a presidential election coming up in three weeks, I think it is from tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, not getting political at all one way or the other. Obviously, we kind of have a feel for what the next four years would provide in this sector, in the cannabis sector, if Trump does win re-election. I mean, if Biden does win in a couple of weeks, any feeling pro or con? I'm not looking for you endorsing anybody, but is that getting any sense as it relates to the sector? I mean, it actually came up in the vice presidential debate here a couple of weeks ago. Does that give you a sense that maybe the Biden administration's at least not anti-cannabis? Right. And it, it's hard to say because the, the, the Biden platform was unwilling to include um, legalization, which is different than decriminalization. And so right. I think there's support uh, if Biden was elected for decriminalization uh, uh, federally. And that may very well be true in, 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 I don't know, in a few years, possibly, um, if Trump is reelected as well. I think the big issue that needs to be tackled one way or another is the type of federal legislation that would allow access to banking, because not being able to have those types of traditional financial services is very detrimental to the industry. And unfortunately, it's not just something that's faced 
by cannabis. And by cannabis, I'm talking about marijuana in this instance. It's also based by hemp, which is a federally legal commodity as opposed to uh, marijuana in this country. And so if we were able to work through some of those issues federally, I think it would be a huge advantage uh, to the cannabis industry and provide the types of services that we want so that we have, you know, safe access to, to cash that we don't have to incentivize people to be trying to keep uh, money in their place of work or, you know, at home or wherever else they're able to store it. Uh, so we want to be able to have that access to banking. And I, I hope federally that will change. I think there may be some more um, leniency towards those types of changes, even though we haven't seen them in the past couple of years. But it'll be interesting to see what is happening federally because public sentiment by and large is, is in favor and either pro-cannabis uh, legalization or decriminalization, yeah. or people have a stance where they are not opposed to right. it. And as you say, the banking sector, if we open that up, would have you know, also from the acquisition and sale of these dispensaries. I mean, if you could finance these properties, get, get debt on the properties, that would also positively impact, I think even we haven't talked about getting title insurance on these properties. I think that would have a potentially have an impact as well, which would be positive for the sector. Absolutely. And there are some limited title insurance options. Um, you know, so there are banks that are willing to, to bank cannabis money. They just have to go through some very specific auditing and compliance protocols. Yeah. And there are title insurance companies. Usually, if you're going to have title insurance, the underwriters are going to put a Schedule B2 exception on there, Barry, that will say that this does this title insurance does not cover for federally illegal activity, which we all knew prior to them putting that exception, but that's just sort of the standard exception that you're gonna see if they are willing to provide insurance. And so there are some companies like um, Alliant and sometimes Stewart and Kadic. I um, come across Westcore here in Florida in that's been right. Yeah, Westcore as well. So there are some options out there for companies yeah. that will work. Yeah. Last question. Where do you see the industry from a brand standpoint, the players involved in the business? Particularly, I mean, obviously, your focus here in Florida, the brands. Any thoughts how you see that evolving? Actually, had a flu. You mentioned Fluent. They just opened a dispensary near where I live. Um, I know it's just a couple of days ago. We've been working with Cureleaf and Certera and One Plant. Where do you see kind of these different brands evolving? Do you actually see a brand kind of leading where they get you know, a recognized as a market leader, just kind of the go-to, the Kleenex of cannabis, let's say. Right. Do you see yeah. that happening? Or Because right now I think they're all, I think most people just aren't really aware of many, if any of these brands in reality. And there are a lot of distinctions, right? Cannabis is not cannabis across the board. So it's not as if you getting Advil at CVS is the same as Advil at Walgreens. I mean, right. they are fundamentally different product lines that are being put out uh, that are unique to each of the dispensing organizations. So a lot of patients I'm told will try multiple organizations to figure out which one works best for the condition that they are being treated for. Right. When it comes to just a pure numbers in the market, TrueLeave is the front runner. You can yeah. see every Friday, the Office of Medical Marijuana Use puts out data on the, the number of milligrams for uh, ingestion or ounces for inhalation that are dispensed by each of the companies. Which and you do a great job posting that pretty routinely on LinkedIn. Thank you. Yeah. And so TrueLeave is typically um, the top runner yeah. when it comes to, to product that they're putting out each week. Um, but, you know, there's a difference too in, in brand. Now, brand is going to make a huge difference with federal legalization if that happens. And that's why there's a lot of companies that are getting licensed in multiple states so that by the time federal legalization happens, you're going to get the Walmart of weed, right? Somebody's going to want to buy up the guy who has 38 licenses and has a market presence and an established brand in all of those states. And those companies are trying to have the same product 
products being put out in each of those states. You can't cross state lines, so you have to create them in each of the different states right. that you're in your licensing program there. But they're trying to create that consistent and known name brand and that consistent product so that if you're traveling anywhere in America, you're going to get the same, you know, Starbucks style coffee right. for cannabis uh, that you would get back home. Yeah, no, it's an exciting sector. I mean, I've enjoyed learning about it and certainly you know, following you and there's still, I think we're in the very early innings of it in reality. So there's a lot of evolution certainly still to come. So it's going to be exciting to see over the course of your career and over the next you know, three to five to 10 years, I think, you know, 10 years from now, we're probably going to see a very different industry than we do today, more than likely. We are fundamentally different than we were back in 2015 when the gates right. were just starting to open. So, yeah, the, as, as the market continues to grow, it will be very interesting to see what happens. I'm sure you will continue to get a lot of deals on this front yeah. because, because you've made a name for yourself already, especially yeah. not just in real estate, um, but also in, in cannabis specifically. So hopefully right. we'll be able to work more deals together. You as well. Absolutely. So it's great spending some time together with you. How, what's the best way for folks that do want to reach out to you to talk about not just cannabis? I mean, you're also, as you said, very involved in land use and planning. So you're certainly not explicitly solely focused on cannabis. I mean, you're, and your firm obviously is a large firm that focuses on all areas of, of um, the legal practice, certainly. So how can folks best reach you? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. Uh, I answer my phone. So the phone number that is on my firm website, 407-418-6361 uh, will come directly to me. And I, I always answer my own calls. So folks can call me, they can email me um, or connect with me on LinkedIn too. Always happy to respond and engage and, and see how I can be helpful to other people. Well, thanks so much for your time, Tara. It's always great visiting with you. Yeah, All absolutely. Thank you very much too. Thanks. Take care. <laughs>